Hey, good morning. It's great to see you. This is part four of our series. We're wrapping up Mood Swings today. If you are new to Forest Park or haven't been here in a while, or maybe uh, you were busy maybe on a Sunday morning taking care of kids or something like that, I encourage you, if you haven't already done so, please go to the YouTube channel and check out parts one, two, and three. It'll answer a lot of questions that maybe you have when you walk out of here today, give you a little bit more information about what we're talking about when we say emotional health and what that looks like, okay? Hey, before we get into part four, we want to go over the mission of Forest Park? Why do we do what we do? Why do we meet on Sunday morning? Why do we have groups? Why do we have outreach? Why do we do everything we do at Forest Park? It's quite simple. We want to help people follow Jesus one step at a time. That's right. We want to come alongside you and help you take your next step. And everybody has a next step, and everybody's step might look differently, but wherever you are and whatever step you need to take, we want to come alongside you and help you take it. All right? All right, let's jump into part four of Mood Swings. Here's what I know about everybody gathered in this room, and also those of you who are watching online, whether you're at home or you're taking a walk this morning or you're having breakfast and you're trying to listen as you take care of the kids. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter you know, where you live or where you come from. Here's what I know. One of the things that makes us all similar is we desire to live a life marked by joy. We want joy. I'm confident no one here, no one watching online wants to live a miserable life, a life of sadness, a life of regret, or a life of anger. Everyone longs to experience peace, love, a life you actually look forward to living when you get up every morning. When we see it in movies, we think, man, that's what I want. When we notice another couple who seems to have the life that we crave, and I'm not talking about the house or their car or swimming pool, I'm not talking about the tangibles, but their life of joy, their life of happiness, when we see it manifested in a couple or someone who's single, whatever, they're living the life we want, we get a little envious. We're like, how, how do they get there? I, I want that. I desire that. And sadly, many of us have given up on experiencing it at all. We've tried, we've you know, switched marriages, we've switched jobs, We've gone back and got an extra, you know, another degree. Um, we've lost weight. We work out. Whatever it is we try to do, but we, we can't seem to find it. We just can't seem to get the joy that we're looking for. And here's my question as we begin today's message. Why do we crave a life of joy? Why are some of us willing to go into huge debt trying to synthetically manufacture a sense of well-being? Why are some of us so bold as to leave our careers or families to pursue a genuine life of joy? Have you ever wondered why the desire for a joyful, fulfilling life is universal, no matter the culture, language, or class of people? I've traveled somewhat around our world. I've met people from different countries, different places, different languages, different cultures. And even though we didn't speak the same language, even though we practice a lot of things differently, we still had underneath it all a desire to have a good life, a desire to have peace, a desire to have happiness, a desire to have joy. Why is that? Why? Here it is, okay, in a nutshell. There's, it's, it's more complicated than this, but this is kind of at the bottom of it. We are designed for it. Our souls are fashioned for joy. We are bent, shaped, and twisted from a joy mold, if you will. And when something in our lives or hearts or relationships prevent us from experiencing joy, we know at the core of our being something's off. Nothing feels right, and we either keep looking for it 
or we quit trying. Some of us sitting in this room, some of us watching online, we're still pursuing joy. Others of us, sadly, have given up. We're like, I'll probably never get it. I'll never enjoy life. I'll never be okay with myself. I'll never be okay with things around me. I'm just going to abandon the pursuit and just kind of exist. You see, here's, here's what I know, and here's, here's what I found out about humans, and most of it is because I've kind of looked internally and uh, kind of watched myself and noticed some of the mess-ups in my life and noticed some of the good things in my life. And watching people and pastoring people and counseling people, here's what I've learned. When humans are healthy, joy is our natural default emotional state. Really important you get this this morning, okay, as we work our way through this. This is kind of at the foundation of today's message. Our natural emotional state is joy, meaning if we are healthy and our relationships are healthy, joy automatically is experienced. We will not have to fake it, manufacture it, borrow it, or give up on having it. When we are physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, relationally healthy, Joy flows easily. Now, this is really important. I'm kind of giving you the the heart of it at the beginning, and then we'll unpack it as we go through. It's not your wife or husband that will create joy for you. It's not a new house or a new car that will create joy for you. It's not even church or prayer that will create joy for you. Joy is not created. Joy is permitted or prohibited. It's allowed or stopped. It's accepted or hindered. Joy is our natural default state when all things are healthy. So if we're not experiencing joy, we need to ask ourselves why. If we're not experiencing a sense of well-being and at peace at the deepest parts of who we are, we need to press pause and say, wait, wait, wait. Joy is my natural state. I'm not experiencing joy. What's going on in my life? Now, let me back up just a little bit and and talk to a a few of you who grew up in a religious environment like I did, all right? If religion had a significant role in your life, like it did mine, you may struggle in one part of this message so far. Now, a few of you did not have this religious background, so just sit back and relax while I talk to some of the religious crazies among us, okay? If you had the kind of background I had, then some of you have difficulty accepting joy as your natural state because you are confused about your origin, how you got started. Let me explain. I was taught, not really by my parents, but by the churches we attended, the religious schools I attended, the spiritual authorities in my life, I was taught from a very early age that our human story, our origin, how the whole thing got started, was in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve sinned and God kicked them out. And then somehow Adam's sin was passed down to his son, to his son, to his son, and so forth and so on until it was passed down to me and I was born. So according to the religious narrative I was given at a very early age, I was born sinful, selfish, depraved which stemmed from the sin, failure, and pain of Adam and Eve, and I'm continuing on the path laid out for me. So sin was my natural state, not joy. 
And that kind of teaching over time plays with your psyche. I heard a thousand times or more growing up, Scott, you were born in sin. Scott, you are depraved. Everything about you is sinful. Every desire you have is selfish. You were born crooked, bent, confused about what you want, what you desire, what you are deceived, you are greedy, you are lustful, you are envious, you are a piece of dirt, and everything about you is wicked, and you deserve to be punished, and there's not a whole lot you can do for yourself. You're broken, you're weak, you're corrupt, on and on. And people are confused as to why so many religious people are depressed and mean. May I let you in on a secret, a secret that began to set me free a few years ago. Our story doesn't begin with failure and pain. That is beginning the story at the wrong place. Our story doesn't begin with Adam and Eve sinning. Our story begins earlier than that with blessing and goodness and grace. Our story begins with relationship, with love, with peace, and with joy. Notice how it begins in Genesis chapter 1. I'm just going to read some of the passages here from Genesis. Go back and read the entire thing. But I want to comment, just kind of highlight a few words as our origin is laid out for us, if you will. Genesis 1, 26 through 31. Then God said, let us make humanity in our image. That's a good thing. Let's let's make humanity in our image to resemble us so that they can take charge of the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, all the earth, and all the crawling things on the earth. Take charge. There's power. God created humanity in God's own image. In the divine image, God created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fertile and multiply. Fill the earth and master it. Take charge of the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and and the birds of the sky, and everything crawling on the ground. Then God said, I give to you. All the plants of the earth and the yield seeds and all the trees whose fruit produces its seeds within it. These will be your food to all wildlife, to all the birds of the sky and to everything crawling on the ground, to everything that breathes. I give all the green grasses for food. That what, and that's what happened. And verse 31 says, God saw everything he made and it was good. That's where our story begins. That's where your story begins. And that is why we still crave it and we still want it. We want to get back to how it all started. So our story, in a nutshell, a lush garden filled with delicious food, a warm and committed friendship between a man and a woman who were powerful, intelligent, and rational, surrounded by stunning creation, including breathtaking animals, a face-to-face relationship with the Creator, days filled with purpose, all the sex they wanted, some of you now woke up, and a promise of many children to fill the earth. That's how our story began. And you know what? That is what we want. That is what we crave. In the depths of who we are, we still want the same thing. A wonderful place to live, healthy food, warm friendships, a growing spiritual life, access to outdoors, sexual fulfillment, and a growing family. And until we have that and until we experience that, there is a craving and there is a longing to get back to what it is we lost. 
Why do we want it? Because it is our legacy. It is how we were made. It is our shape, our default, our normal state when all things are healthy. And that's what I want for you. And that is why we come alongside people and do everything we can to help you take your next step in following Jesus because I am convinced as we follow the truth of Jesus both in our public and private lives and we interact with one another through love and we experience authentic community as the body of Christ, we will once again experience genuine, lasting, and pure joy. It is our legacy. But, and there's always a big but in these messages, right? Yes. But, it's not always that way, is it? So many of us are sitting in this room, we're watching online, and you're listening to the first part of that message, you're like, yes, that's what I want, I'm tracking with you, I want that joy, I want that peace, I want that sense of well-being, but I'm not experiencing it. We are not experiencing the level of joy that we want, unfortunately, it's not our default, and over the last few weeks, we have discussed why, we've done the best we can to unpack a few reasons as to why our joy or the joy is not flowing in our lives as it should, today, I'm going to cover just as we kind of put a bow on this series, I'm going to cover two more areas. The first one I'm going to give to you in detail, and then the second one I'm just going to mention. And the reason I say that is because I'm going to unpack the first one a lot, and then you're going to think at some point in this message, oh no, he still has a whole nother point to go. And then you're going to think, we're going to be here all day. I'm not going to do that. The first one's going to be about 85%. The last one I'm just going to give to you quickly before we wrap up today, okay? Are you ready to learn? Thank you, Deb. All right, here's what I know about a lot of us, okay? Sadly, you attempt to experience joy because you're not ha- you don't have it on a consistent basis, so you do one of two things or both things. The first one I'm going to talk about in detail. The second one I'm just going to mention toward the end. The first one is pain avoidance. The second one is joy substitutes. Let me give that to you in a nutshell. We attempt to eliminate, because we don't experience joy on a natural basis, it doesn't flow naturally in our life, we attempt to get involved and manufacture it. Since it's not flowing naturally, we try to get it somehow. So what do we do? We try to eliminate whatever is not joyful, aka pain, hopeful by doing so we will kickstart joy or we attempt to substitute other things for joy in an effort to make life worth living. Let's talk about the first one, pain avoidance. So many of us gathered here, so many in the first service, so many people watching online in both services, we attempt to sidestep as much pain as possible, believing it will automatically translate into experiencing joy. And I wish that were simple, but it's not. Or I wish it were that simple, but it's not. Listen to me very carefully. This part to me is gold. I wish I would have understood this years ago. Avoiding pain does not mean embracing joy. One can experience an absence of pain, pure comfort and every need met, and still lack joy. And one can experience an abundance of pain while overflowing with joy. The presence or absence of one does not mean the absence or presence of the other. But many of us don't know this, and therefore we remain bound to unhealthy habits and patterns of thought. So here's what many of us do. We do whatever we can 
to avoid discomfort, distress, or pain. And we do so because we're convinced that the pain is hindering our joy. So if we can remove the pain, we'll automatically experience joy. And it doesn't work like that. How is the number one way we try to avoid pain? And I have learned this not only through study, but I've learned it in my own life, and I've learned it through counseling people. I've learned it through pastoring for 25 years. The number one way we try to avoid pain is by numbing ourselves. We remain hopeful that if we can numb ourselves to the pain, we will start feeling joy. And here's the problem. And if I could get this across to you, if I could get this, this across to our online audience, if I could get this to, across to hundreds and hundreds of people who call Forest Park home, I'm telling you, if I could get this across and we would really understand this, we might actually start experiencing some healing and some health. We cannot selectively numb our emotions. You cannot, I cannot numb our emotions to pain and keep our joy emotions full of feeling. It doesn't work that way. When we numb our pain, we numb our joy. When we intentionally numb the bad, we unintentionally numb the good. Rather than becoming a joyful person, we end up a flat person. We say things like this, I'm not gonna let any of those people into my life again. They have hurt me, they have lied to me, they have betrayed me, they've stabbed me in the back, so I'm going to just shut down all the bad people in my life. And what happens? We shut out all the good people too. I'm just not going to let my heart break again. I am not going to let my heart break again. The problem is with not letting your heart break again is that you get to a point where your heart doesn't feel again. You know what? I am just going to be strong and I'm not going to allow broken dreams and broken goals, you know, to, to bother me anymore. The problem is you just stop dreaming. You just stop having goals. You can't selectively numb emotions. I've tried. You can't reach in and say, okay, uh, kind of like when you're on a computer and you uncheck or you check certain things that you want to come open, certain apps, you know, and all. it doesn't work like that. I wish it did. I wish that we could reach inside and just go, okay, I don't want to feel this. I don't want to feel this, but I do want to feel this. I do want to feel that. It doesn't work like that with human beings. When we numb the bad, we numb the good. When we shut out the bad, we shut out the good. And I see it over and over and over again. People come in to church and they just don't feel God's presence. They don't feel excited. They don't feel, you know, all these different things that they want to feel. And when you find out, when you sit down and talk with them, you realize they've had pain, they've had hurt in their lives, and they have just started to turn down the dials, if you will, in their life. And the problem is they turn down the dials to bad people. They turn down the dials to disappointment. They turn down the dials. And as a result, they've turned down the dials to dreaming. They've turned down the, dial, the, the dials of God's presence and hope again. Now listen, folks, I'm not here to condemn you or to make you feel badly if that's who you are and that's where you are. I am sensitive to those who try to avoid pain. I am sensitive and compassionate because more than likely, if that's you, you did that because you're wounded. You are deeply wounded. Your soul is sore. 
Your mind is tired. You are trying to numb because you're, not because you're weak or because you're selfish or because you're lazy or because you just don't want to feel badly. It's so much deeper than that. You have numbed out because you're not sure how much more pain you can take. You numb to avoid other emotions connected to the pain. You numbed out because you don't want to be depressed every day. You numbed out because you don't want to have to to deal with anxiety every night. You numbed out because you're tired of fearing. You numbed out because you are sick of worry. You numbed out because all the effects of living numb in your mind is better than the effects of living in trauma. I get it, I get it, I get it. I've been there. I know what that's like. So I'm not here to condemn you. I'm not here to make you feel guilty. I'm simply here to call it out and hopefully offer you a better way. I don't want you to live like that. I don't want you to live numb. You are a beautiful person, a talented person, a creative person. There are so many things inside of you that if we could somehow just turn the dial up, see you healed so that you don't feel that pain anymore that of, of people hurting you or lying to you or betraying you or even some behaviors that you yourself have caused other pain and you've turned down the dial of regret and your past. If, if somehow we can find healing for you in those areas and then turn up the dial where you dream again and feel hope again and feel love again. That's what I want for you. And I'm so sensitive to you if you feel that way because what I've learned the number one reason we numb out if you will the number one feeling that we're trying to avoid the number one hook if you will that people stick in us is this word right here shame shame in fact, if I had time to go around this room, and I'm not going to do it, and those of you who are new, you're like, oh, no, here it comes. I'm not going to go around the room, and I'm not going to ask you questions. You're going to have to come up front, nothing like that. But if we had time to go through this room and had time to talk with you about your life, if we could sit down and interview the people watching online, I can almost guarantee you that every single person would have at least one area in their life where they battle shame. Somewhere in your life, there's something you carry, something you've done, something you're doing, something you're afraid you're going to do, somewhere you're going to be found out, something that you've done in the past that has damaged you or broke your marriage or broke friendships, and you carry shame with you everywhere you go. And I would argue that shame is the number one contender for why we numb out. Shame. Shame. Now, big high overview, this is just an over, overall big, you know, kind of high view of, of shame. There are two types of shame. There's toxic shame and healthy shame. Toxic shame communicates you are bad because of something you did or something done to you. And I don't want to be in a relationship with you because of it. That is toxic shame. And some of you have lived under toxic shame, being poured out on you all the time. And as a result of the shame you carry, you've numbed yourself. Now, there's healthy shame. That communicates that your behavior is unhealthy. And you have the opportunity to change that behavior. And if you will change that behavior, we can have a wonderful relationship. Toxic shame strips a person of power. Basically, there's nothing you can do. You are dirty, you are broken, you are messed up. Healthy shame empowers a person. Your behavior is not good, but you are more than your behavior. 
change your behavior, which you are capable of doing, and we can have a wonderful life-giving relationship. Shame is not always bad if the focus is on the behavior rather than the person. Let me make that really hopefully able to be seen in the life of a child. All right? Those of you who have kids, uh, I have heard that children sometimes lie. It's a legend I've heard. It floats around, okay? If you're a parent, you have a child that lies. Who lies? Here's toxic shame. The parent to the child. You are a liar. And if you were raised in a very religious environment, you follow it up with, and you know what happens to liars. They burn in hell. Many sermons are little more than toxic shame speeches for which someone gets paid to give. Healthy shame to the child. You are lying. Do you see the difference? Not you are a liar. You are lying, and lying hurts relationships. And there's no place for lying in our family. Not a family that's built on trust and love. Stop lying and start telling the truth and all is good. Scott, what in the world does that have to do with joy? Toxic shame destroys joy because joy cannot survive in the presence of toxic shame. Healthy shame identifies the behavior preventing the joy, provides an opportunity to change the behavior, which allows us to return back to our natural state, and our natural state is joy. Let me give you an example from the life of Jesus. This is one of my favorite stories. I say that about every story, so, you know, bear with me. John 8 is the, is the story of the woman who's caught in the act of adultery. If you know the story, this woman is literally caught in the very act with some man. They never bring the man out. They only bring the woman out, and they throw him in the middle of the street. And all the Pharisees, or many of the Pharisees, teach of the law, grab rocks because according to the law of Moses, they were to stone such women who were guilty of adultery. So they pick up rocks to stone her, to kill her. And then Jesus arrives. They actually throw, him, throw her down in front of Jesus, and Jesus bends down and writes on the ground. And then he stands up. And he goes over to the woman. Now, you've got to picture this in your mind. This woman is, is no doubt humiliated. She is bleeding, probably, from the rough handling of her, throwing her into the street. She's covered in dust. Her tears are mingled with the dust of the, of the, of the road. She's got mud on her face. Her eyes are probably swollen. She's trying to cover herself from just being, getting ready to be killed, but the stone's getting ready to just pummel her. And Jesus walks over to her and says, Woman... Where are they? Is there no one to condemn you? Notice that he puts the condemnation in you, the toxic shame. Is there no one here to condemn you? She opens her eyes, she looks around and says, no one, sir. Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, don't sin anymore. Do you see how he separates her from her sin? I don't condemn you, but your behavior is destroying you. I don't condemn you, but if you continue this lifestyle, you're going to end up right back where you are. I don't condemn you, but I don't want to see you live this way. I don't condemn you, but you're too beautiful to be like this. I don't condemn you, but you've got some patterns in your life, some sin in your life that has taken you way, way, way far beyond where God wants you to be. Can you imagine if the church took that approach? 
Can you imagine if we took that approach, we separated people from just their behavior, instead of seeing all people as their behavior, we saw people with behaviors attached to them, manifesting around them, in them, outside of them, but we saw that as the enemy, if you will, but love the person. It's huge. Now Jesus separates. Notice he, he separates her. I don't condemn you, but you have some unhealthy patterns in your life, and these patterns are eventually going to destroy you, so get up. Pay no attention to those condemning voices around you. Know that you are not condemned by me. Change your behavior and begin living a life of peace and joy. That's what I want to do. That's what I want to say to people. That's what I want to say. You were, you, you, were, you were created for joy. You were created for peace. You were created to be in relationship with your creator and those around you. You were created to thrive. But we got all kinds of patterns and thinking and weird behaviors and stuff we picked up that numbs ourselves and addictions and all this mess in us. But I see you through all that behavior. I see you through all that sin. I see you through all that numbing, and you are beautiful, and you are amazing, and there's hope for you. Pain avoidance. The second one, joy substitutes. Here's what I've learned. If you and I do not deal with the toxic shame, and we do not confront the behaviors in our lives preventing us stopping us, hindering us from experiencing joy, we tend to turn to joy substitutes, a.k.a. addictions. Now, before you check out on this part and think, well, it's not for me, I'm not an addict, listen to me, okay? A person can be addicted to almost anything. Food, drugs, alcohol, sex, TV, shopping, success, money, fame, you name it. Anything we run to, to synthetically create joy in our lives because we're not experiencing it, can eventually become a substitute for joy and we can become addicted to it. Now, I'm not going to spend any more time on joy substitutes. We've dealt with addictions in the past. We're going to deal with addictions again. I guarantee it. It's a constant battle, but I brought it up to call your attention to the reality that when we don't experience genuine joy, we will turn to anything and everything to fill the void. But when a person refuses to numb out, refuses to numb out, and if you've been here with us over the last few weeks, we've talked about the importance of self-awareness and self-compassion and dealing with who we really are and looking ourselves in the mirror and confronting who we are so we, we, we confront the fact that we've been numbing out and instead we confront whatever behaviors we have going on that's preventing joy and we pull away from that toxic shame. We move away from those joy substitutes. I can guarantee you we will start filling or positioning ourselves in a place where we begin to experience genuine joy and lasting peace because it is our default. It is our natural state. It's who we were created to be. I'm dealing with our internal lives so much. And if you're here at Forest Park on an ongoing basis, you'll know that we deal with a lot of this stuff on the inside because I have learned in my life that a lack of joy, a lack of peace, a lack of love, you name it, has a lot more to do with what's going on inside us than what's going on around us. 
okay? Everything in our lives do not have to be going well for us to experience peace and joy. In fact, let me just, just kind of throw some scriptures out at you, and you can read these at your leisure when you hit some time. The Apostle Peter tells us that it is possible to be filled with, and his words are, inexpressible and glorious joy in spite of experiencing grief in all kinds of trials. He says when you go through all kinds of trials, even though the outside world is throwing things at you, even though the outside world is throwing trials in your path, even though the outside world is doing everything they can to trip you up, in the midst of every single bit of those trials, you internally can experience inexpressible and glorious joy. Can you imagine? The inside is a whole lot more important than the outside. James, the brother of Jesus, said that we should be able to consider it pure joy when we go through difficult times because the difficult times brings us to a place in our life where we can truly begin to see what matters in life and what doesn't matter in life. So we should count it joy when we go through trials. So you can have joy even though you're going through trials. Watch this. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, 11 and 12, happy are you. Happy are you when people insult you and harass you and speak all kinds of bad and false things about you all because of me. Be full of joy and be glad because you have a great reward in heaven. Internal matters so much more than external. You can have deep and lasting joy in the middle of everything around you falling apart. John 16, 33 I have said these things to you, this is Jesus talking, so that you will have peace in me. In the world you have distress, but be encouraged. I've overcome the world. Internal matters more than external. And here's probably, I think, one of the most amazing passages, Hebrews 12.2. Jesus endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. Folks, when you experience joy, you can even go through the most difficult and most horrendous experiences. Jesus had a constant flow of joy from his Father, and as a result, he could do exactly what was in front of him. And you can too. And you don't have to try to synthetically manufacture it. You don't have to numb out. You don't have to drink it up or shoot it up or hook up with somebody else that hopefully will give you a jolt of joy for a night or two. You don't have to do that. So we wrap up this message today just with a few questions, all right? A few questions. And you, you have to answer these questions. And you, you take them and you think through them, and we're going to pray in a moment and give you an opportunity to kind of respond to that. But, but here are a few questions. Number one, ask yourself, is my life marked by joy? And if it's not, don't be embarrassed. I assure you, many times in my life, I would, no way I could answer that question and say yes. No way. I'd be lying if I did. If people around you look at you and say, now that's a person who I consider joyful, would they say that about you? 
That doesn't mean that every moment of every day you're laughing and smiling and feeling great. It doesn't mean that you don't have bad days or you don't get up and have a bad morning. It doesn't mean that. I'm not talking about, you know, things, that, you know, you get a flat tire, your car breaks down, or you, something goes wrong at work, that you're not hurt or bothered. That's not what I mean. But overall, is your life marked by joy? Why not? What's blocking the flow? Here's another huge question. Am I numbing somewhere? Is there somewhere in my life that I'm trying to numb out because I don't want these feelings, I don't want this darkness, I don't want these memories, I don't want this rejection, I don't want, so you numb out. Are you numbing somewhere? Here's another question. Am I stuck in toxic shame? Am I dating someone who pours toxic shame on me? Do I have a marriage that's just filled with toxic shame and we just shoot it back at one another? Am I pouring it out on my kids? Am I throwing it at my parents? Am I in a friendship and it's just shameful? Do I belong to a church that just constantly throws shame at me all the time? Joy cannot abide in a culture of toxic shame. Last question. Am I substituting other things for joy? Am I trying to reach over here and reach over there and reach over there? Listen, I don't know you personally. I don't know what you're battling, what you're going through. I don't know where your marriage is. I don't know where your finances are. I don't know the past. I don't know all those things. And I don't have to know the details. And I wish, I wish that I could reach inside of you. And I wish I could tweak a few things and turn a few dials and fix a few wires. Don't you wish it were that easy? And everything would just be okay. But that's not, how, that's not how we're made. So what I can do is stand before you on a Sunday morning for 40 minutes or so with a microphone and take what gift I have and what ability I have and call you to your purpose. What I can do is do the best I can to open your eyes to your creator and to say that you are more than your behavior. And you're more than your past. And you're more than your sin. And you're more than what people say you are. And you are loved, infinitely loved. And your father loves you so much that he would orchestrate some events in your life to bring you here this morning to hear this message. All I can do is say run to the one who is the source of joy. In all honesty, I'm numb. And in all honesty, say, I got some substitutes in my life. In all honesty, say, I need to change my direction. So let me lead you to him, okay? Let's pray. Father, we bring ourselves to you. And the truth is, some of us are just numb. We're numb because somewhere back there we got caught up in some things that we shouldn't have. And maybe we didn't even bring it on ourselves. Maybe somebody brought it on us. But we're just, we're numbing out. God, we're in a mess. We need help. We need your grace and mercy. We bring all of our mess to you. We bring our confusion, our doubts, our worries. We bring our numbness. We bring our shame. We bring our joy substitutes. And we just lay them all down. And we say, will you bring in to heal us? 
Will you begin to wash us? Will you begin to make us clean? Will you begin to make us new? Father, will you birth us over again? Thank you for reminding us of your love and grace in this message today. Thank you for the body of Christ that's here to support us. Thank you that we can come and hear truth that ultimately sets us free. Here we are. Change us. Make us new. And help us follow you one step at a time. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Amen. I hope you have an amazing day. Thank you for being with us today. We'll see you soon.